Welcome to episode 49 of Probably Polly, the podcast where we question everything, even our name. As always, I am your host, Michael Haig. I am your co-host, Sarah Lucas. And I'm your co-host, Mandy Conant. We have a special guest host with us today, Robin Beach of Robin's Nest Coaching. They are out of Vancouver, Canada. They are a sex educator and they are also a sex and relationship coach. Robin? You've got me. How are you doing through the COVID-19 weekend? Well, the Prime Minister of Canada has basically said that they're not really enforcing anything, but they're, (laughs) this is so Canadian, they're very strongly recommending that you stay home and they're expecting you to do the right thing. (laughs) So there's no major enforcement, although they have recently come out with like, you can get a ticket if you're seen in public in groups of five or higher that are not all household folks and businesses that's the big one businesses are getting fined if Mm -hmm. they restaurants or coffee shops they have to all be takeout or they can get fined if they're opening up that's great quick note the date today that we are recording is the 12th of april michael you want to discuss what the topic is tonight and why it's not what it is tonight. (laughs) What it it could be what's on everybody's mind. We originally asked Robin to be on here to talk about parenting because our last episode had somewhat less listens than most of our previous episodes. But to be fair, so did the episode before it, which was also actually upbeat. Uh, I didn't think about that. So the scenario is that there's less people listening to podcasts across the board. Mm. Podcasts are definitely a commute and stealth entertainment form for most people. So you're at work and you're supposed to be doing something where you're upright and looking responsible. (laughs) And you can also listen to a podcast and no one will notice because there's no video or anything to give you away. But now everyone's working Mm. from home. So from home, they can put cat videos on or whatever (laughs) thing they want to in the corner. They have no commute, which again is a huge chunk of our audience. And so we're seeing a drop in numbers and it isn't clear to us immediately what the drop in numbers is from. At least one place that we normally share our podcast did refuse to let our last podcast be shared because it was about COVID-19 and wow. they were in space and they were trying to limit the amount of COVID coverage because they felt like they were being bombarded by it. Um, and so we were feeling pretty down on ourselves, I think, after last episode. And when we were discussing what topic to do, we thought, well, maybe we should do something that's a little bit less COVID specific because obviously we're not... Mm-hmm. COVID experts anyway, and also there's a lot of that that's already out there for actual experts, and it might be depressing. But then we did the probably poly Zoom hangout yeah. that we've been doing. Ooh, how did that go, by the that way? That went really well. We had 10 people. Robin yes. was actually there. It was fun. Yeah, I'm sorry I missed it. <laughs> no, you advertised it, and then you and weren't I promise, there. I promise that I will be there next time. <laughs> <laughs> My kids were sad you weren't there, so there's some pressure to make you feel guilty. I mean, it was a lot of fun. Obviously, it's really nice getting to actually actually know Mm -hmm. listeners face to face Mm -hmm. personally and then also it was really great to have Robin there because Robin and I had a couple of fun sort of discourse moments Mm -hmm. that I thought were really enlightening because Robin's like that you know it's just it's conference season and you know usually from March to the end of summer I'm gone most weekends traveling and doing conferences so it's been not just like a bummer at first I thought oh this is a bummer but it'll be fine and then later I thought I'm really missing that sense of community Mm -hmm. I'm missing getting together with my people and just being in that environment and honestly the zoom call yesterday really helped 
with that a little bit. It was nice to just talk to random people that had similar experiences and similar lifestyles. It actually was really nice. So like really, truly thank you for holding that. It was quite refreshing. In like two weeks, Robin and I are supposed to be in Boise presenting at RelateCon. And so... And on this recording, as it is during the COVID quarantines, we might have some kids extra loud on background tracks we just can't get rid of. Yes, my most sincere apologies. My kids are home 24-7 right now. No, no. And that's a part of my life. I'm trying really hard to... Well, and that's for everybody. ...manage that and my mm-hmm. work. It's kind of been interesting because usually I do a lot of my work while they're at school. It's a time. Seriously. <laughs> that's all I have to say is it's a time. Yeah. Trying really hard to manage my life as a parent and as somebody that works in the world of sex and sexual health. <laughs> usually I do a lot of my work while they're at school. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to manage both right now. And it's doable. It's just taking a lot of patience on everyone's part. I'm sure as exposed as your kids are on a daily basis, which you tend to operate the same way I do. We don't keep anything. Mm, yeah. Uh, you know, it, it's all kind of, I don't want to say it's all in front of our kids, but it's not. I don't censor my kids as much as some parents do. There's still an element of it that you really can't handle in front of them. So <laughs> It's a very sex-positive household and a very body-positive household. Yeah. You know, nudity is not a thing. And unless somebody says they're uncomfortable with nudity, that's going to be a thing in our household. You know, they've started asking questions about sex. And I'm on the belief that if they are old enough to ask the question, they're old enough to hear the very simplistic answer. And I will answer a question short. And if they want me to elaborate, they will ask further questions. And so we have a pretty positive Absolutely. household in terms of you know nudity and sex and stuff like that so they're pretty aware but it does make it difficult to mm-hmm. work while while they're home and not right. at school i'm trying really hard not to worry too much about dates and when is it going to be back to normal and when is this going to end i'm just trying to adjust yeah. to what it is now and let it be that until it is not mm-hmm. and to try to take the stress off mm-hmm. of dates and times and stuff and just be like i'm just going to adapt and adjust right now and that was basically our advice in the last episode was live this space until we're past this space and then yeah yeah <laughs> then create a new normal yeah. you know on right. the back end worry about it. tomorrow when tomorrow happens exactly because... exactly i'm trying to adjust my work to the now yeah a lot of the problem here is the unknown how long will it last and so if you're like well i'm just going to do this until it changes but you don't know when until it changes is because the estimates are like oh in a month versus and there's a people like oh 18 months two years exactly exactly so instead of being like well i think for the next two weeks i won't have any daytime clients it's like i'm just going to assume that's the regular right now and try to figure out a way mm-hmm. to either change hours or find a way to see clients over skype during the day or something like that it's just a matter of just trying to adjust right now but so yeah at the phone call interestingly one of the things i did ask i asked people what they wanted to hear and if they wanted to have covid topics or serious topics or something lighter or why they thought people were or were not listening and for the most part they didn't seem to care what we talked about they felt that they're people who weren't listening for work reasons and that they mm-hmm. would catch up once work resumed and that we would have a back-end bump on listens once people had to drive to work mm-hmm. you know and they were able to say we just want the normal non-monogamy material but during the call itself everyone's questions were about what are you doing as far as new dating right now what do you do Mm. if you're new to poly during this space right now yeah that's so true yeah what do you do if you're not quarantined with a partner what do Mm -hmm. you do if you're quarantined away from a partner yeah what you know and so i feel like there are a lot of very poly specific questions which can be kind of upbeat and do fall in the vein of living with what we're doing right now and actually meld well with parenting because for me a big one is how do you have sex if the kids are home all Mm. of the time (laughs) 
when you're in a small enough house and you don't have the other caregivers and they're not necessarily at an ideal age where they will not just walk in on you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because all of my caregivers are gone because all of my caregivers are grandparents and they can't be around the kids right now. Right. You know, So right. I can't get a date night even Aww. though I'm with my partner. It is a lot of like 2 a.m. sneaking around half conscious quickies <laughs> instead of... A more normal Ugh. routine. I laugh, but I feel that. I'm yeah. so sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. I mean, we're all we're all in this together. Yeah. For me, there's a lot of good community stuff that I love about this. I mean, I'm not glad there's a tragedy, but like inside of the tragedy, there is that. I mean, the the biggest thing about America, especially being American, is we're super isolated. We're yeah. super individualist. Mm. We're super isolated. We have almost zero sense of community in most cases. We have zero participation in community in most cases, and we have zero even shared experience in most cases. Yeah. So this sort of universal experience that we're all participating in is in a communal sense, refreshing, mm -hmm. <laughs> right. despite the all of the kind of downsides. Silver lining there. Can I share my, like, ad advice slash experience on having sex while the kids are at home? Yes, please, please yeah. Please. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like this kind of starts from the beginning, but I think, I mean, you can start at any time. I have two kids. They are now four, almost five and six years old. And we have a white noise machine that we've mm -hmm. put on from the beginning. Ooh. I swear mm -hmm. those kids can sleep through anything because from the beginning we've always put on a white noise machine when they go to bed. Yeah. To this day, they've slept through thunderstorms, they've slept through all kinds of things. For my 30th birthday, I was having a big party and my mom got sick last minute. And so I just kept the kids in my bed and we had this huge party and they, they slept through the entire thing. Mm. I've had loud sex. My bed room is attached to theirs like we share the mm. same wall mm -hmm. I'm right across from them and I've had really loud sex they've never woken up to my knowledge they haven't had any issues so I'm a really big fan of conditioning your kids to be okay sleeping through loud noises even when they were babies I would vacuum and do loud things while they were sleeping <laughs> and I think that makes a big difference because if you are insistent on keeping everything completely quiet then that's what they're going to be accustomed to so that's just my advice as yeah. in my experience as a parent to get them accustomed to white noise and such while they're sleeping so that they can sleep through loud noises. I'm thankful for that to this day. To add to that, noise and sleeping and sleeping with noise are all research hobbies of mine. So when they're babies, it's especially easy to do the loud noise because actually that's their comfort zone. Yeah. Because the, the womb is 20 decibels of noise. Yes. So the womb is a 20 decibel constant drone of whoop, whoop, whoop. Voop. Oh, you and I are going to be good friends. You know, which is why shushing makes a baby feel comfortable because you're making noises like the womb. Shh, 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 shh at it. But extremely loud noises, vacuuming, loud white noises are very good for babies calm because it's the environment they're conditioned for. Mm -hmm. I don't use a white noise machine. I use something called a pink noise machine. Oh. So if you think about the kind of environmental noises that humans would have had, like if you've ever gone camping and the outside noises are unbelievably mm -hmm. loud. Mm -hmm. I mean, again, 20, 25, 30 decibels of just bugs and birds and rivers and trees and leaves. Right. That's what we evolved into. And in fact, there's research that shows that having that kind of environment has more restful brain waves, that you get better sleep Interesting. in that kind of environment. Oh. What else is in the pink noise? Like, what, did it, what is the difference between the two? Yeah, that's a good question. Noise types are colored, described. So there's like brown noise, white noise, pink noise. You said, what's the difference between the white noise and the pink noise? I was just going to go, just a little hue of red. Like, that's... <laughs> 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 
pink noise is better for human sleep patterns than anything else is actually. Huh. I'll actually link a really great noise machine for anyone that's interested that I've used and recommended to people that's really amazing. It uses an AI to generate new noise patterns constantly. So it's not like if you've ever cool. had one of those like nature noises, it's on loop and you're like, it's the yeah, same yeah. exact thing and you get used to it and you know when it's going to happen and it's really creepy. Mm-hmm. It doesn't do that. And I do the same thing. And you're right. Yeah. My kids never wake up for sure because I have the noise machine. So that's I'm covered noise wise. My issue is more like time wise. My partner is asleep for most of the time the kids are asleep. So like before when you could have taken two, three or four hours off together, you know, it's like an hour or a half an hour. And also we have a, a small baby that she co-sleeps with <gasps> and then our youngest still sleeps sort of near her. And so sometimes if she gets up and leaves from bed, it's not the noise, it's the cold. Mm-hmm. That when her body heat is gone, the baby wakes up and goes, where'd mom go? Mm-hmm. And so and getting anything that, again, more than like a very short, short, short sliver of time right now is hard. But yeah, once they're both like three or four plus, I'll be fine. If we just had the older kid, I'd be good. Like we were definitely putting him down for naps and then we were good. But now we have this baby and the baby is not so into mommy leaving. <laughs> right. Michael, how old is your baby? Four months old. Oh, I'm sorry. You got a ways. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I know. <laughs> That's not usually the response. Like, I have a four-month-old. Oh, I'm sorry. Like, yeah. it's, usually, uh, it's usually, oh, how awesome. You know me, Manny. I'm always going to be completely honest and straightforward. Um, And you know what? I'm actually really fortunate that I have always been in a household where it's been a very poly household. Like um, I've been with other parents as roommates, etc. And so I was never on my own with a little baby. There was always somebody else to, especially in those moments Mm -hmm. where you're getting a little sexy and the baby starts crying. You're like, oh. And you go, and then a roommate would be like, it's okay, I got it, you continue. Oh, that sounds... <laughs> so I've always been really fortunate to be in a very, like, polyamorous household with other parents. And I really... It just really made me believe that, you know, it does take a village. And it really made me believe in having several adults for children and just make me think, like, how... How is this not the norm? Yeah. It's just really nice to have other adults around. No, for sure. The extra adults is super important. I haven't been lucky enough to do that with partners, but we have a best friend that lives with us and then Lissa's mother lives with us and they do caregiving duties as well. But my best friend doesn't do babies. So he could take August for like a walk, but he's not going to, he's not going to take a baby. And then Linda, who would normally take the baby, she broke her elbow right at the start of this COVID-19 thing. Oh, shit. (laughs) So she had to go to the emergency room, get like seven pins put in it and a metal plate. Oh my uh, god. Re- that's not broken. That's like crushed. Yeah. yeah. And she's recuperating on, you know, oxy and hydrocodone and the arm brace and stuff. So <laughs> there's. Oh my goodness. <laughs> that's how we all should be during this quarantine. Seriously. I'm just saying, all on oxy and hydrocodone. <laughs> 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 yeah, so we were we were doing fine until then, and then it was like, well, shit, because we were we were doing a divide and conquer thing where we were like, well, each of you only has to handle one kid. That's okay, right? I'm gonna give you a baby. I'm gonna give you a, a, a toddler that's cool, a little you know, little kid. But then now it's like, okay, well, Linda can't have anybody, and. Mm-hmm. <sighs> But I mean, a lot of people don't have that. A lot of people don't have that live-in extra adult grouping, for sure. Yeah. By the way, that's one of my favorite responses. I was at a 
event for my kids preschool and we're not out at preschool it's like we're not out i mean if you looked us up you'd know because i have a podcast and everything but mm. we just don't go to the preschool and yell at everybody that we're poly hi i'm michael we're poly <laughs> same here same here i'm not i'm not hiding it but i'm not shouting it to everyone when people ask i answer truthfully yeah and so we yeah. were visiting i was going to a birthday party and someone was engaging me in some sort of conversation about if i was ever going to have more than two kids and i was like the only way I have more than two kids is if there's more than two parents. And they were like, ha ha! And I was like, yeah, it's not. You're like, no, I'm serious. <laughs> yeah, I didn't bother correcting them, but I was like, no, that was that was legitimately what I meant. <laughs> Literally. I've had other partners that maybe wanted kids, but I don't want any more kids. And I've always joked, if they want more kids, they're going to have to do it with someone else. Yep. Sure. And they're like, oh, no, that's, <laughs> that's, that's a legit it's completely thing. okay. I just don't want to be the mom. Mandy, I'm exactly the same. I had a partner that wanted kids and I said, I'm okay with kids. I'm not carrying anymore. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm done carrying. Yeah. And they were like, oh, and I was like, sorry, that's like a limit of mine. I'm not carrying anymore. That was a quest to Mordor for each kid. <laughs> sure. So like I'm done. See, I didn't mind carrying them. It's once they came out that that was the... Oh. <laughs> I, you know, they were they didn't uh, require much babysitting while they were in here. <laughs> they, I, I didn't have to, like, wake up every four hours and feed them. Like, they, everything was pretty self-contained, and I was okay with that. Once they came out, that was the hard part. So I'll carry baby if I could. I can't anymore. Total, total opposite for me. But if I could, I'd carry babies for everybody and just give them out like <laughs> Christmas presents. Total opposite for me. You have me a baby, I'll take care of it, but I'm not carrying anymore. Nine months of slow death is not yeah. my time. It's awful. The woman that I was most recently seeing was a monogamous, and we were sort of talking before, you know, she met me, and then we were talking through the whole scenario. She was like, what if I want to have more kids? And I was like, what if you wanted to have more kids? And I was just like a divorcee. Like, I would still be like, ah. Uh... <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like, I've got two kids. I don't want to have another. It's not like it's a unique problem for us being polyamorous. It's just a problem to having kids already be around, mm. pre-existing yeah. children. Mm-hmm. Everyone has a limit to how many kids they can realistically be a good parent to at the same time. Right. Well, I don't want a parent. <laughs> My youngest is 14. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Like, I'm so close to being legally done. <laughs> sure, sure. I don't do well with the first, I don't know, until they can talk. A good friend of mine that is Polly and has lived as a single mother gave me some really great advice that has kind of stuck with me. And I know some people might think it sounds pessimistic, but she said, don't have more kids than you could handle on your own. Oh, no, that's fair. I've been a single mom before. I thought that was really fair. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. And I think it's a good advice, even if you are super confident you won't be on your own, because there will still be days where you're on your own with kids. You're on your own all day, yeah. Absolutely. Totally. That's why I stopped it, too. Like, if your partner falls and breaks their arm and take care of them and the kids, you don't want more than you could have handled. You gotta prepare for, like, emergencies. Anything can happen. Yeah. And you could be the only parent for for a a gazillion Absolutely. That's a fantastic yeah. perspective. I love that. I thought that was really good advice and I stuck with that. And then that's why I didn't end up having a third. And I'm glad that was my choice. I promise you, being a single mother of three kids was very, very difficult. Because two is a lot. I don't know about other folks, but like two is a lot. Yeah. My daughter and I share this journal. It's called Just Between Us. It's a mother-daughter journal. And we write back and forth in it. It's a diary, but it's between two people. And it has prompts for stuff. 
And then there's also like free space too. So it's been really awesome for like my daughter. I want to say that my daughter can come to me and talk to me about anything. But of course, every teenage girl is going to have a problem talking about something at some point. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It gives her a different avenue to talk to her mom about stuff. Right. She doesn't just have to come to me and lay in my bed and go, okay, I want to talk to you about this. You know, this she can bring up stuff in the diary and then ask me to bring it up. So it's a little easier for her. Okay. That is such a good idea. She doesn't have to imagine your facial expressions or deal with like the preemptive empathy response. It's a really cool book. She can get it all out like at one time if she needs to. And there's different diaries for different relationships as well. There's, you know, like there's a son and mom and a son and father. And then like a, there's a grandparent one even. But it's called Just Between Us. I think that's a brilliant idea because a lot of times, especially in certain relationship advice that you find is all about communication, which of course is important, but I feel like only talk becomes the only way to communicate. Mm -hmm. And some people don't communicate well that way. Some people have an easier time writing things down. I'm not an advocate of things like texting where you can only have like 150 characters, et cetera. Mm -hmm. But I think writing an email or writing a letter is okay, provided that you sit down and talk about about it at some point yeah so sometimes like writing things down can be really powerful for a lot of people and a lot easier than to sit down and talk about it, especially for people like internal processors that need some time and space in order to gather their thoughts i think that's brilliant and you have to deal with the fact that different people have different communication styles and needs yeah for example if you have two adhd people trying to have a conversation where each of them if they don't get to say the thing they're going to say you're going to forget it mm. and they're so worked up about trying to remember what they're going to say they're having this interruption competition with each other where they're constantly interrupting each other and no one's ever finishing any sentences. Mm -hmm. One of the great things about a text dialogue is you can write your whole text block while they're writing their whole text block and then you can read theirs while they read yours Mm -hmm. (laughs) and respond back. You know, and that's that's in either real time through like a messenger type scenario or, you know, through a email yeah. where you're like, well, here's response to everything you said, plus what I wanted to talk about. And you can respond and go, here's your response to your response, plus to your new thing. So the different avenues are good. And I wish, you know, when I was a kid, I was taught that anything worth saying that was important had to be said face to face. And like a lot of things, oh, I, yeah, I developed a massive chip on my shoulder about that. Mm-hmm. I actually lost one of my best friend relationships probably almost exclusively because they sent me a really hard letter about needing me to not live with them anymore and basically kicking me out of their house rather than talking to me about it. Mm -hmm. Oh, and you took offense to it. Yeah, and I was like, you threw me out of my own home with a letter. What? the hell yeah and now looking back at it i mean it you know obviously i don't think it was great but i understand that <laughs> that was how they needed to right that they weren't able to have that conversation with me which i think they weren't able to do because they knew that it was not a good thing to be doing and it was a mm-hmm. i'm not aware about the context with that but but the point is that i could have responded with i see why you wanted to send it this way you know, I understand why this was easier for you. I see you're in a tough position. Can we talk? You know what I mean? Like if I had, if I needed to talk about it, I could say, can we talk about it? If not, I could send a response letter. And there were a lot of other things I didn't like about it, but the, the I, I remember being expressly upset that it was a letter because I had always been taught and had expressed to them repeatedly. So they knew my position that you didn't send important information as text, basically, that yeah. you sent it as talk. It's interesting that you say that. Like, this is new information to me, the idea of expressing yourself in non-verbal eye contact kind of way about important things can be uh, a productive thing. I am very adamant that I want to see someone's face. I want to see someone's eyes if I'm saying something important as much as it scares me. 
So this is, can you, the three of you expand on this a little bit? I'll send an email. If it's something for me to, like, it's hard for me to talk about, I'll send an email. And I will do that because I want to be able to say everything that I need to say without being interrupted, Mm -hmm. without being redirected. Mm -hmm. I'll miss something that was really important for me to say. Leave it out. And yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, you're always going to be more accurate and eloquent through text because you can review it and you can review it and you can review it. So if you have something that's incredibly difficult and nuanced to say, you're going to be a lot better off with text if you're trying to get it exactly right. Like you're trying to say something difficult, but also positive. I don't know. I'm external processor. I feel like if I try to write something down, I obsess over it too much. And end up trying to sound in a way that I'm not really trying. <laughs> See, and I'm the opposite. Like I'm writing a paper. <laughs> you know, and that's actually something I do a lot of my coaching is like trying to figure out where you are in the spectrum of internal versus external processor. And I think internal processors are really good at writing emails, writing letters, because they need time and space to process. Whereas an external processor is just kind of kind of talk it out. And as they're talking, things kind of tend to make more sense for them. An internal processor just doesn't work that way if you try to poke them into a corner and force them to talk they might go into a defensive kind of mode and end up saying something that might be hurtful just to try to get you to back off yeah i'm an external processor and i date a lot of internal processors and i've learned not to poke the bear and let them have a day or so to have some time to think about what they want to say and i i've now learned to encourage them to write it down write an email etc because when they feel less pressure to try to come up with something Uh, on the spot, then they can actually articulate their thoughts a little bit better. I don't just allow communication to happen just through texts and emails and letters. I'm like, yes, take your time, write an email, write a letter. And then at some point, like after you send it to me and I read it through, we can sit down and talk about it. Oh, yeah. So there does need to be some talk that happens, but it's okay to have some time to sit and write what you're thinking. All right. Okay. Well, to clarify... I wasn't talking about processing. I was talking about if you have a concrete thought you're trying to express that isn't a changing thought, you're going to be able to express it more accurately in text because you have the review process. Right, right. Okay, okay. Michael, to push back on that a little bit, if you have the opportunity to write down what you think and re-edit it and re-edit it and re-edit it until it's exactly the way you want to say it, isn't it a little inauthentic as opposed to being in the room with someone where as as far as the recipient to an important something you're trying to, to share or one person is trying to share in that if you're trying to say something in words that may come off wrong in person or in your eyes or something, isn't it more authentic to say it in person? Yeah, I'm going to say no flatly. Yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna disagree with that as well. Okay, tell me. When I write something down, I can go back and e- edit it and reread it and make sure it is how I want to say it. Okay. Because sometimes I'll pop off, especially if... I'm discussing something that I'm very passionate about. I'll pop off and that's not exactly what I meant. What do you mean pop off? It's very similar to when we do the podcast. Okay. It, I mean, if you think about it, because when we're doing the podcast, there's definitely times where I'll say something and go, okay, no, 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 take that out. That's not what I meant. And so then Michael will take that part out mm-hmm. and our listeners will never hear it. Sure, but yeah. if you're having a conversation with somebody and you say something and you go, no, 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 that's not what I meant. They still heard it. 
True. Yeah. Yeah. That's still going to be your first response to whatever that was. And it sticks. Yeah, true. Huh. Well, it really comes down to if you're trying to be authentic. So if you're trying to manipulate the situation, text is going to be easier to manipulate. Interesting. Than in real life. But if you're trying to be authentic and expressing to your partner authentic constructs, then you're going to be able to get that more accurate in a reviewed system. Whatever that reviewed system looks like, even if that reviewed system was recording and recording over and over and over and over and editing and recording and splicing like we do for the podcast, you're still able to get the information more accurate. And again, this is not if you're processing, because mm -hmm. I'm also an external processor. So having the discussion as a requirement for me to process is important, mm -hmm. but the processing... I'm also changing what I'm saying almost constantly because I'm, I'm finding new things, realizing new things. And so all I was saying originally was once I know what I want to say, if I write it down, I can get it more close to what I want to say. And that's also part of how language works, right? Because right. you know that language has very little semantic content. Mm -hmm, it's mostly right. pragmatic, which means it's mostly you saying something while imagining how the listener is going to hear what you're saying. That's not going to come off right, yeah. And not, not the actual words, but how they're going to perceive the content. And so when I write that out and then I can sit there and go through the thought and go, okay, now let me imagine my partner reading this. Oh no, they're going to hear this, this word wrong. And then you change that word and you can keep doing that until you actually get them to hear or read or whatever as close as you can to what's in your head. What you're actually trying to portray yeah. in their head. But it's still authentic. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, maybe I'm just uh, have experience of people doing that to manipulate me. And that's where I'm coming from with this. Or maybe it's just like when I do it, if I edit it over and over and over again, I feel like I'm manipulating manipulating the situation rather than just saying what I want to say or what I feel in the moment. I mean, I think that maybe what you were trying to say is it's more raw if you just go into conversation and talk. Yeah, I feel like I can understand someone better if they do that with me. So you like you need those facial expressions and you need the... Yeah, I want to see what they say in their eyes and match it with their body language. I think that's where it works well to get together after the letters and the emails have been written. Okay. okay. Where you can actually sit down and say, this is what I read. That's an important link and active communication and everything like that can be really good by saying by trying to paraphrase okay this is what i read this is what yeah. i feel like it says is that what you were trying to say and you can just try to okay. reiterate and figure out exactly what was trying to be conveyed in that message okay and it can help an internal processor to have that time to think about what to write and what they meant by it and the external processor has a chance to sit down with them and be like okay this is what i got from this is this right? Mm -hmm. It also helps me to get my emotions straight, which the, the intermediary process does. Yeah. Because what I find is if I go to someone and say, this isn't working for me, can we talk about that? And they go, well, maybe we should break up. I'll go into like, no, I will do whatever you need to keep this relationship <laughs> uh, working. I will give up everything. I will stop yeah. doing anything. I won't see other people. I'll do whatever you want. And that's not actually me. That's like a panic emotional response yeah. to a revelation that I might be losing something that I want. Yes. Well, and that's that redirect that I was talking about. Like that if I go into something and I want to say this, this, and this, and then their response is, you know, and you, then you go, oh, wait a minute. And, and it's a, it's a redirect into a different direction of the conversation. Whereas if I have my letter or if I have, like I said, sometimes I'll go into a conversation with an outline in front of me to make, or, or bullet points to make sure that I'm, I'm hitting all the things I do want to discuss. Yeah. Then, then there's not that miss or that they, they're hearing something differently than, than the way I'm trying to portray it. But the other thing is if, for like, you know, a lot of research around learning styles for a long time and they were like, well, okay, well, 70% of people or 60%, I think 60% of people are visual learners. Learners. And mm -hmm. so we're going to focus on doing visual lessons, like we're right. going to put the material mm -hmm. up on the board. But what it actually turns out is 
doing all three is always best. Right. Mm, yep, yep. For every single learning style, if you get information visually, audially, and tactically, or kinetically, whichever one you want to call it, you will learn better than if you do just one, even if it's your primary visual yep. style, and even if for the same amount of time. So if you could do one hour of just reading information as a visual learner, you'll still learn more if you do 40 minutes reading, 15 minutes listening, five minutes physically doing the activity. Huh. And so I think that that cocktail is important. Like Robin was saying, I would definitely say you got to discuss with a new partner, what's your best way to get information? What's your best way to have these discussions? Figure out what your connection style is, but you still have to do all of them. It's still like eventually you need some text information and some time delayed information mm -hmm. and some face-to-face -face conversation and some body language conversations. When I work with couples or thruples or more, I make sure I say, it's not my job to fix your relationship. It's my job to make sure that you are getting your needs met and that you're happy and healthy. And sometimes that mm -hmm. doesn't necessarily mean sticking together. Right. Mm -hmm. That's a hard one to sell to people when you're trying to talk to people. Because people, you know, I'll do that with people too. And I'm saying, okay, all right, here's some relationship coaching stuff. And then keep in mind, my job is not to make this work. And in fact, I've been highly critical on this show repeatedly of the type of couples therapy where the job of the couples therapist is to make it yeah, work. no. Totally. The end of a relationship isn't the worst case scenario in the slightest. Right, no. There, it's interesting that you say that the conversation is better for you because you feel like you've been manipulated by the written word when I feel like it's the exact opposite opposite for me I've had partners go well you said da 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 and I'm like that's not mm. what I said that's not what I said at all or they'll say I didn't say something right <laughs> to me sometimes letters are are kind of a cover my ass kind of yeah I do love text yes. for that reason my my partner yeah. the other day we were having a heated discussion ish through text across the house, ironically, we were in the same house, we were still messaging each other rather than talking at the moment. And at the very beginning, they said a thing about multitasking. And I and I said straight up, I said, I agree with you, humans aren't capable of multitasking. And I do know that it makes August sad if he sees that I'm on a tablet while he's trying to talk to me. Yeah. And then halfway through the conversation, they're like, I just am really upset that you can't admit that multitasking doesn't work and that you don't seem to agree with me about my core point. And I was like, Did you uh... scroll up and take a screenshot and send it? Because I've done that shit before. Yeah. Well, that was what I was doing while they responded to me. Or if you did say it, you said it in such like a small offbeat way that it didn't register to me yeah. as being a response to my core note. I used to have a partner that gaslit me all the time saying that I didn't say things or that I did say things and it made me feel like I was crazy. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. that's the that's one of the reasons that I actually started communicating through written word because I then I knew that's exactly what I said. I did say that. I didn't say that and yeah. and it it made me feel a little more sane at times. Well, my point actually was not necessarily that I felt like I could be manipulated more through text. I just feel like I am more capable of determining, like of seeing tells of lying if I'm in person. Ah, oh, okay. You got strong intuition. I'm trying anyway. <laughs> Women are better at intuition, generally speaking, and they're better at reading body language and facial expressions than men are. Just a lot of stats on that. By like, by like a ton, by the way. Yep. So my opinion's always going to be like, I don't think being in person is that important. I can't read shit off of you. <laughs> because you really can't. Because <laughs> I, I cannot. Yeah. But also, I'm inclined to say that the best way to handle these sort of scenarios is to look at the outcomes not the intents. I always say don't worry about okay. intents because everybody has good intent. Mm. Right? Yeah. That's mm -hmm. my claim is that everyone 100% of the time has good intent. So what you're talking about is someone trying to tell you, well like I know that I keep hurting you over 
and over and making you miserable and making you feel bad about yourself. But it's not what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to do this really good thing. And that just doesn't not matter. Yeah. Right? It doesn't matter what you're trying to do because I, I take for granted that everyone's trying to do the right thing. I especially mm -hmm. think that to make a relationship work, you have to believe that your partner at least wants the right thing for you. Right. But what you need to look at is what the outcome is. So even though they're yeah. trying to do the right thing for you, if the outcome is damaging, you've got to go. Yeah. Yep. And so it, you shouldn't be trying to play detective with your partner. If you're at the point where you're playing detective with your partner, there's already a huge problem and you need to go to yeah. couples counseling, couples therapy, something in that space, or just leave if you're doing that and still having that because you can't be policing your partners. Like 90% of people, I mean, that's honestly, that's not a statistic. That's just me guesstimating <laughs> a huge, huge, um, percentage of people seek couples counseling when it's too late, mm -hmm. yeah. you know, and it mm -hmm. becomes breakup counseling at that point. Um, a really good friend of mine, if you ever see her presenting River Dark, has a really great analogy about couples counseling, comparing it to going to the dentist. Yeah, absolutely. That you don't go to the dentist once your teeth are falling out. You go there every now and then to get a checkup, have a professional look at it and see like, oh, you should be brushing a little more in that area. Oh, you need to be flossing more in this area area to help kind of point things out that you can improve on in order to keep your oral health mm -hmm. up to date. And I think that's such a good analogy. No, we're not guilt tripping anyone, that shaming anyone that can't get to yeah, medical no. health care. But if you have access to mental health care, to couples counseling, these are things that you should do from time to time just as a checkup, the same way you would with a car or your teeth or anything yeah. else that needs routine yeah. maintenance to keep working because it's a lifelong project to have a good relationship with a partner. It is not something that you like finish and put in a corner. Right. Well, I got that sorted out and I'm done with it. It just sits over here now and works. Nothing nothing yes. does that. Because the people are changing all the time, right? And the whole existentialist concept, the partner you're with is not the partner you're mm -hmm. with 10 years ago, five years ago, two weeks ago, a month ago. And so mm -hmm. if you're not constantly working, then you're falling behind. Yeah. Yeah. We went on a bit of a communication tangent. <laughs> So here's the thing, right? So I think that this episode is going to end up basically being a cocktail episode about the questions that are pertinent because of the extra pressure. So the, the COVID is yeah. putting pressure on how up to date is your communication and conflict yeah. resolution skills, especially mm -hmm. forced into a small space. Can you give them the space they need to get the text communication if that's what they need? Can you have the conversation in person if that's what they need? It's going to put pressure on like what your parenting looks like. How do you navigate your kids being around all the time? Like there's interesting because, uh, you know, I've been reading rules and then also uh, Robin said a rule like, wait, no, no, Mandy said, I will always talk to my kids if they come to me to talk to me about something. And there's a lot of that kind of stuff, right? Like, I was reading one of the articles that my partner sent me about why I shouldn't, you know, my tablet, my kid talks to me as a person saying, like, if I'm at home and my kid tries to talk to me, I just put whatever I'm doing down yeah. and pay attention to them. And they go, and I use that as a barometer to see if I'm doing the right kind of work at home, because if I can't put it down, I shouldn't be doing it at home. Right. Well, that is no longer a choice. That's not. Like, I have work that I have to do. Have to yeah. do it, and I cannot yeah. always put it down, and it has to be done at home. So, you know, it was a nice luxury when I could leave the house and go to the workshop or go to a coffee shop or go somewhere else to do this necessary work. And it worked really well because when I'm gone, my son doesn't see me and go, Why is dad ignoring me? Even though I'm not there, it's less emotionally yeah. confusing for him than me being like, I have to prioritize this object and this abstract concept of like right. sending an email over talking to you and because of COVID-19 right now I am working right. from home but yeah. I have teenagers yep 
So I'm working yeah. while they're sleeping until two o'clock in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like they That's don't. Working out. There's no. <laughs> so they oh, get up. That sounds you know, so nice. I work till like four in the afternoon. All right, home. we don't need to heal from you then. You're not helpful. We we need to hear from the people who are getting stuck. <laughs> right. If your kids aren't even up until work's over, then two that's the you're afternoon. good. You had no additional. Right. So that two hours that they are awake, they're not functioning still because they're teenagers and they've just woken up. So they're not coming oh. to me like during work hours, being like, "Mom, I need to talk to you." And they're teenagers. They know what work hours are. If you're yeah. like, "I'm at work," they're like, "Okay." <laughs> I'll be back at five. I do want to circle back to uh, having sex with the kids at home and having sex sure. with teenagers at home is very, very different than having sex with smaller children at home. That sounds mm. right. Because those little assholes know what uh, I'm doing. Uh, yeah, that, that's yeah. And my kids, if you've ever met my kids, they want to make it as painful as possible. <laughs> and they want to, they like want to be the biggest <laughs> cock blocks. They want to. Oh, that's so, <laughs> so funny. This feels pretty easy to me. I just feel like the answer is extreme, over the top sexual positivity. Like, you want to be a cock block? We're just going to go have sex in this room and you can listen. <laughs> yep. We'll turn off our white noise machine <laughs> and you can hear us go <laughs> at it. How, how you like that? Well, no, that's and that's it. what I've told them. Yeah. I'm like, you know what? Tough titty. I'm going. <laughs> like, it's been, it's been a minute. We're having sex. Look, put your radio is, on really yeah. loud. My plan is I'm going to put a noise machine on really loud, but if you want to be a block, yeah. I will turn it off for you. Happy yeah. birthday, you get you headphones. You know, mine are almost five and six years old, mm-hmm. but they've actually done pretty good at understanding, you know, when I explain normally at this time, you'd be at school. And while you're at school, I work. Yeah. You can't be at school, so I'm working right now. You need to, you know, play video games or something. And yes, uh, we're just starting like an online school thing. But I have no shame. I am not afraid to let my kids watch TV or play video games while I'm trying to get some work done. Oh, amen. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. You're doing your best. You're feeding your kids. They're alive. You're getting by, and that's the best you can do sometimes. And so I've just been like, here's your video game. Mommy needs to get some work done. Have have at her. And I have no shame letting my kids have a this a weird sleep. You know, like it's they have like a summer sleep schedule mm-hmm. right now mm-hmm. because they're yeah. just as stressed out about all this shit as everybody else is, and they're just as bored as everybody right. else is. Oh, totally. When teenagers have a legitimately later sleep schedule, our yeah. draconically early totally. sleep schedule for teenagers is primarily based on a lack of funding for busing. Mm-hmm. Because because nobody wants the mm. elementary school kids who are actually up at six in the morning. I used to wake up at five in the morning as like a third grader. Yeah, yeah. Um, but nobody wants them on the corner at four or five in the morning because that's terrifying. So they make the buses do them last. So like I had my elementary school started at like nine. My yeah. middle school started at like eight or seven. And my high school started at like freaking 630 or seven. And then the buses for that were like 4 a.m., you know. And, wow. and so... That's just killer because we know that your sleep schedule gets later once puberty hits. Yeah. That in studies where they've taken a school yeah. and pushed the starting time back by an hour, it's raised the average GPA of the entire school and entire letter grade. Wow. Oh, wow. That's how important getting the right kind of sleep for your age demographic is. So, like, I'm not at all against letting your kids have a whatever their body says is their yeah. actual sleep cycle. My concern, of course, would be that they're staying up unnaturally late even for their sleep cycle because of blue light from televisions and computers and video games. Right. And that stuff can be unhealthy for them. My 15-year-old son is staying up till 3-ish is probably the Mm -hmm. average of what time he's going to bed. I don't let him sleep past 2, though. That's kind of my max. Well, again, it's good to have a set wake-up time because that will keep them on a sleep schedule regardless. And that's what's important is that consistency. 
obviously we talked last episode some about self-forgiveness and I'm going to continue with that. Obviously you have to forgive yourself for things that you're not doing the way that you want to do them. I don't think it's a problem though to also want to do the best that you can do in that space if you can do more also. I struggled a lot with television and video game addiction-ish issues. I mean, I was never diagnosed or anything, but way more than I wanted to do and continue to. And so it's very important to me to try and help my kids have good alternatives to those things. And I definitely get stuck in a position where I'm trying to decide if I have the time to help them or I have to work or... And, you know, you have to do whatever it is you have to do to stay healthy and keep your family fed, right. obviously. Like, again, mm-hmm. it's a very privileged position. But if I have the time, I am taking sort of the extra time. And it's good for me, too, to spend more time outside with him and spend more time exercising and stay away from screens for both of us in my downtime. Again, not to the extent that it makes me miserable, but to the extent practicable. My daughter just walked in. <laughs> This is a great example. My daughter just walked in and she was crying. And I was like, what? What's going on? Like, do you need me? Like, I can, what do you need? <laughs> no, I just watched a movie and I just wanted to talk to Aww. you about it. <laughs> <laughs> so she just went, she was crying. And I was like, oh, what, what, what's going on? Like, what, what are you upset? Do you want to talk? Do we need to talk now? And she was like, no, you just record. I just wanted, I just wanted to talk to you. I didn't know you were recording. <laughs> Sleeping advice for both yourself and your kids. Honestly, everyone should be sleeping with a noise generating machine. It's just way better for your sleep. You'll wake up less often because it'll stop you from having sleep interruptions. You'll have better Mm -hmm. brainwave activity. By the way, if you do decide to do the my suggestion and use the little machine, I'm going to link and whatever. It does take like a couple weeks to get used to Mm -hmm. because if you're used to sleeping with little to no noise and suddenly you're basically sleeping outside, but it's just like going camping. If you've ever been camping the first night out, it's like deafening and you can't fall asleep. But then like after a couple of nights, it's just no problem at all. And in fact, it's like really restful and really relaxing. It's like that. And once you do it all the time, you'll end up really liking it. But like, it's really weird because you need it to be louder than you'd think is pleasant. So like turn it up to what's pleasant and then just go like three or four more clicks past that and Mm -hmm. then get used to that. That makes sense. The the goal is to get it loud enough that random interruptions, like if a car drives by and honks a horn or like a dog barks, mm-hmm. won't disrupt your sleep anymore if the noise level is there. Right. Yeah. Uh, it's pa- all Pavlovian mm-hmm. conditioning. Yeah, so your brain absolutely. has learned, like, when I hear an interruption, I should get up because there's someone in the room. I should get up. So if your noise machine is making a lot of random noises, like random owl noise, random dog noise, random train noise, whatever then your brain will go, okay, random noises don't mean wake up necessarily. Yeah. Right. It'll start to deprioritize those environmental noises and get you better sleep, which as a nation, that's another American thing. We're just incredibly Mm -hmm. sleep deprived. Yeah. Between our work Mm -hmm. schedules, our incredibly bad sleep habits. If you could just get on a sleep schedule, that would be an amazing thing to relieve a lot of stress for everybody. Like same sleep every day. You should do it by going to bed when you want to go to bed, set an alarm for when you were supposed to wake up. And then after like a couple of days, just go to bed a little bit like 15 minutes earlier, 15 minutes earlier, 15 minutes earlier until you wake up right before your alarm goes off. And that's your actual sleep Mm -hmm. cycle, which by the way is vastly different for different people. Even into your thirties, you can need nine or 10 hours of sleep depending on your body. You can need as little as six, five. There are people like that. That's how you test if that's the case. I know a lot of people, I get four and that's all I need. Yeah, but have you have you done a sleep test to see if you need four? Or are you just so used to being sleep deprived, you don't know what your brain would be like if that's it wasn't sleep deprived. Yeah, that's all yeah. you get. Yeah. And again, that's very privileged if you, if you don't have the opportunity to do that because you have to work two jobs to pay your kids food. Again, yeah. that's not about
about you. It's not a value judgment. It's about where you wish mm-hmm. you to be mm-hmm. if you could right. get there. But if you have the option and you're just watching late night television. Playing games on your phone. Even if you're doing things that are valuable to you, fun to you, you might find that the extra ability to engage in those things in whatever way, either productive or relaxing, with the yeah. correct amount of sleep makes up for the, the lack of it. So mm-hmm. like I lose Absolutely. an extra hour or two to sleep, but I have incredibly good downtime during my day because I'm rested. Also weird thing, if you can get a half hour nap in the middle of the day, it replaces up to an hour of the sleep that you need at night. So it's actually efficient to take a nap if you're taking the half hour nap that you should be taking. Sleep normally is measured from when you fall asleep to when you wake up if it's evening sleep. Mm-hmm. But for naps, it's measured from when you lie down to when you to when you get up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard that. And is it a half hour nap? Because I've always been told it's a 20 minute nap is the best nap. So it depends on what language they're using. So the, the answer is you want to set an alarm for 30 minutes from the moment you lie down. So you set a 30 minute alarm and lie down. You probably will sleep for actually 20 minutes okay? because it'll take 10 minutes or more to fall asleep. But the important actual thing is what you want is you want to lose consciousness for any length of time, even if it's only like 30 seconds. Mm -hmm. But you don't want to lose consciousness long enough that you get to REM sleep. Right. Because if you do, it scrambles your brain and then you'll be tired for the rest of the day. Yeah. I've heard a 20 minute nap is like a reboot. Mm-hmm. I just try really hard to remember that and what I was told to try to avoid the stress of like whether I'm asleep or not. Yep. It's just that lying down, mm-hmm. quiet with your eyes closed is almost as good a rest as being asleep. So yeah, just yeah. lying there with your eyes closed is quite restful. So even if you can do that for a little bit. And it might take you a week to actually fall asleep. If you do it every day for a week, it might take you a week before you fall asleep. Yeah. And it'll be really weird at first and you might even feel groggy when you wake up after 30 minutes at first. But after like a month, You'll wake up, even if you don't have an alarm, you'll go to sleep and you'll wake up in exactly 30 minutes, like on the dot. It's really, your body gets very used to it. So if you have the opportunity to do that, one of the things that you definitely can do right now because you're stuck at home, try out working on your napping game. That can (laughs) save you time at night while still keeping you refreshed. for yourself people with teenagers (laughs) okay well no i have kids i put the kids to sleep i get my kids asleep and then i take my 30 minute nap because my kids are still at that age they need like a four hour nap or whatever because they're like three and a half robin's kids don't nap anymore i miss that Oh, Mine yeah. don't nap anymore. Yeah, that's, I've been doing a lot of sleep research about kids recently, and it's bizarre because I didn't bother doing sleep research until I had sleep issues as a teen, right? And so yeah. all the stuff that I've ever known about sleep has been the same. And then I go back and they're like, there's a time between like circa four and five and like puberty where they don't need naps. Yeah. And I was like, what? Yep. What? So yeah. what? Have fun with that. Because like naps are like the core of everything that I ever knew about sleep. They're the core of really young children's sleep cycles, and they're the core of adult sleep cycles. But there's like an eleven year gap in the middle where there's no nap. Yeah, or six year yep. gap in the middle. I think no school nap. schedule has a lot to do with that too. Basically, once they both started preschool in kindergarten, mm-hmm. they didn't nap anymore. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. In U.S. schools, they take a nap in pre-K, but once you get to kindergarten now, they don't nap anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. We had we had nap when I was in kindergarten, but not anymore. Yeah. Yeah, my son clearly still needs a nap. Like, he doesn't want to take a nap. But he's cranky <laughs> if he doesn't. Yeah. He, you know, well, he, well, he's either cranky or he'll, like, snuggle up to us around, like, six or seven and just pass out before dinner by accident and never get Aww. up again, you know? And so what I do is I use a lot of my child psychology on him. 
I have developed this thing I call a sleep test, and the sleep test is to check if he needs a nap, is the way that I phrase it to him. The thing is, I pick him up, and he has to lay his head on my shoulder and rest while I sing three songs. And it takes about 15 minutes to get through the three songs. And if he's still Aww. awake at the end, he gets to be awake, no nap, no pressure from me, no question, and he gets a little chocolate coin as a reward. And if he falls asleep during that time, then he gets to take a nap, and when he gets up, he gets a chocolate coin as a reward. <laughs> And uh, so, so I'll, I'll use it because I'll say, I think you're sleepy. He says, well, I think I'm not sleepy. I said, well, let's do a test. And if I'm wrong, I commit to playing with you instead of taking my own nap, basically. Mm-hmm. Like, if you won't go down after my song and you're just up, then we're going to have an afternoon. And, I mean, I've done it hundreds of times. He's never, never made it. <laughs> He's never once. Never once has Aww, he made it. Oh, that is so sweet. And the funny thing is, how, like, there's been a couple of times where he was, I don't know if he was awake at the end, because I can't tell because he's over my shoulder. Mm-hmm. But by the time I lay down yeah. holding him, I've woken him up by jostling him. Uh. And there's been a couple of times I've done that where he's then looked at me and gone, why aren't you walking <laughs> and singing to me? And I'm like, well, is that what you want me to do? And he's like... <laughs> So he was clearly it's on like, his way. It's like, right, well, once he's tired enough, then he wants it, you know, yeah. like then he won't wake up. Like once he's actually yeah. asleep, you try and wake him up. He's like, no, mm. more minutes. That's so wholesome. It's actually a skill to fall asleep and it is incredibly difficult for young children to do. So of course he learns to be yeah. scared of it, you know, so of course he's scared of mm-hmm. napping because it's boring mm. and confusing and there's all sorts of weird things that can happen when you're a kid. FOMO. That's why my kids wouldn't nap. They were they were afraid they were going to miss something. <laughs> yes, the oh. real thing. Yeah. Fear of missing out. Well, and I think that does help. Um, my house has a nap time for the whole house if if you're home. Oh. Ah. So like if you're home, we all are going. We have we call it quiet time. Oh, that sounds so great. We all either taking a nap or doing nothing. Yes, we have quiet time as well. And that's been very helpful too. Yeah. You're not missing anything. All the televisions are off. We're all lying in different beds. Yeah. Oh. I will help you fall asleep, or you can be bored alone in the playroom by yourself. Your call. Mm. Oh. <laughs> yes. Yeah, we have quiet time as well. You can Mm -hmm. be either in bed or you can be reading a book or whatever, but screens are off. It is quiet time. And I feel like that is what's helping me get through right now. Yeah. It's quiet time. Oh, yeah. See, when my kids were little and they napped, it was mommy time. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Same tomato, tomato. Yeah, Yeah, I, I always phrase it in the more positive way for him, for sure. Oh, no, I didn't tell him it was mommy time. I was just like... I'm, it's going to be boring. Like, mommy's not doing anything but cleaning. Do you want to help me clean? <laughs> yeah, oh, man. My kid would be like, yes, he'd be signed up. Wow. And he'd be right there with you with his little I mean, at that age, room. yeah. But when they got older, they were like, no, fuck that. I'm good. I'm not. <laughs> and then also for yourself sleeping, Robin was saying this is really valuable. The don't put pressure on yourself to sleep. Yeah. Both napping and going to bed at night. Lying there restfully is Mm -hmm. very close to as good for you as falling asleep. And no benefit will ever come from guilt tripping yourself from not falling asleep because that's the number one way you will not fall asleep is if you start panicking about if you Mm. can fall asleep. So like if I'm going to bed at night, I definitely do that sometimes when I'm starting to go to bed. Actually, you know what's really weird is, I I don't know if this is nap related or not, but every now and then I'll lay down and go to bed and I'm really like super tired, which is how I normally feel in the middle of the day when I nap, especially if I didn't have a nap. Mm -hmm. I'll lay down at like nine and I'll wake up at 9.30. <laughs> like yeah, I had a nap, I yeah. and my body's yeah. like, "All right, good nap, guy." Nine thirty, and I'm like, "Oh no, no, oh, no, 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 that's not what this was." <laughs> like, I can't, I can't, I can't get up. If I get up now, I'll be up for like five hours. I can't do it. Nobody, go back to mm-hmm. sleep. Yeah, you gotta force yourself to lay there quietly. Yeah, I do a lot of meditation at that point. Basically, the thing where like picture your thoughts as clouds and just let them float by. Like my brain starts to think of something, and I'm like, goodbye. <laughs> 
And you just relax mm-hmm. and feel your body, feel the softness of the covers and the pleasantness of the bed and the smells and all the kind of good things there and just relax. Because even if you ended up relaxing all night calmly in your bed and never sleeping, that would be much better for you yeah. than getting up and going downstairs and watching TV for three hours and then going back to bed for three hours. Totally. And I just want to say that that's great on paper and it's great for people who don't have anxiety, Michael. But for people who have anxiety like me, when I lay down and I realize that it's I've been laying there an hour and I'm not asleep yet, I start freaking out because I know, yeah. all right, I really need to get to sleep. And I do start putting pressure on myself to get to sleep. Or yeah. I start thinking about all the things that I'm not going to be able to do correctly tomorrow because I haven't mm, had enough yeah. sleep. Which then create, crea- you know what I mean? So, but, but here's the rub, right? So this is why I was saying the thing to focus on is learning the self-forgiveness mm-hmm. part. Right. Because the answer, unfortunately, even if you have anxiety, is still going to be lie in bed, relaxing. Mm-hmm. And it's just that if you have anxiety, it's going to take you longer to learn how right. to do that. Right. That's, that's the only difference. Like, the advice is the same. And the forgiveness is especially during right now. Especially during yeah. what's oh, going man. on right now. Please forgive yourself if you can't go to sleep at the right time. Yeah. Anybody that's ever told you that, like, that self-flagellation thing is going to help motivate you mm. is a liar. Yeah. There's no evidence that has ever helped anybody. There's a lot of evidence that does the opposite. Anyone that ever accosts you for failing to live up to a moralized expectation. You know, obviously, I don't even believe in good and evil, as we've talked about. I don't believe in being a best person because I believe that you kind of choose the kind of person you want to be. So all of the tips and hints and tricks and everything that I talk about is just trying to help you be the kind of person you envision yourself being to be the best version of you for your own personal yep. perception. So none of this that for me is ever meant to be like, you ought to be doing this. It's more like if you could figure out how to do this, you will feel more rested. You will feel more yourself. You will feel less anxious and definitely forgive yourself for not getting there because the only goal is to get there and forgiveness is how you're going to get there self-forgiveness is how you're going to get there Mm -hmm. self-flagellation is just going to create an anxiety spiral i would like to point out that if you are having trouble sleeping and have anxiety there are some really good apps out there Mm -hmm. a matter of fact i have what's called calm calm is a great Mm -hmm. app that one calm is really great to help you through panic attacks etc but it's also got some different options for like helping you go to sleep via certain sounds or just like listening to a voice. It's just kind of a side note. I have used that before. I do have anxiety and I'm bipolar. I mm-hmm. usually have mania and I have a hard time calming down and settling down. And so certain apps like that do help me. I also live in a geographical area where cannabis is accessible to me. And so I do have help in that sense. Mm-hmm. So I do highly recommend that if it helps you. But of course, I know that not everyone has access to cannabis in the sense of like helping with anxiety and sleep. Sure. But it's really made a big difference for me. If it is safe, for you to do so (laughs) what helps me fall asleep is my thunderstorm sounds on my alexa so yeah there's lots of good things that you can do for that but i think i think this has ended up being sort of a odd mix and match of uh (laughs) tips for surviving being quarantined with lots of people slash self-care which is good i think those are the things that we got the most questions on recently that people actually need to know right now is how to survive that density and how to do some self-care this is cocktail of tips with robin beach and it's not too late. I, there is a question I've been having. I know, I feel like I'm the guest, so I feel like I should have the answers, but I have a question. <laughs> okay. Because I am polyamorous. Shut up. A shocker. <laughs> Everyone clutch your pearls. I am not monogamous. 
I have a partner that is technically a live-in partner. They kind of have their own suite in the house. Mm-hmm. So we're not like 24-7 all up in each other's faces, but we are definitely sharing the same space and we still are able to spend some time together. And my other partner is like half an hour, 45 minutes away and is immunocompromised. So she's definitely not somebody that I am going out to see right now. And the three of us are essentially in kind of a triad. Mm-hmm. And that's getting kind of difficult right now mm-hmm. because she's feeling very lonely. And even she was kind of saying, like, I wish you two could hug me right now. And mm-hmm. she's feeling very isolated. And so we're basically our solution right now is just doing a ton of video chatting, whether it's for all three of us or just between me and her or between my other partner and her. So we're just trying to do video chats and little messages through like Instagram or Facebook Messenger where you can send little quick things. But Mm -hmm. I just wanted to know if anyone had any other kind of tips or advice for something like that, where you have a partner that, you know, you're not necessarily able to see right now. And if there's anything that I can do to help her feel a little more supported, because I mean, I'm I'm pretty good. I do miss her a lot, but I'm pretty good. I feel like she's having a harder time than I'm right now because I do have a live in partner. Mm -hmm. So it sounds to me like she's missing tangible and I would send her something in the mail. Oh, I know that getting packages and getting things in the mail right now is amazing for me because it is, I do miss the tangible. And um, like I got a package from Jen yesterday with the masks that she made me. And she also sent me a a coloring book and like a cute card in it. And it brought me to tears because it was just, it was something tangible from somebody I care about that I know that I know that I can't see this month that I was supposed to see. You know what I mean? Like it was a, it meant, it would have it would have meant a lot a year ago when we when you know when we weren't in what we're in right now or or four months ago. But to for me to get it right now when I'm we're so isolated, it just meant everything to me. That's so sweet. So I do agree with Mandy that sending objects is good, but I also think that a lot of what people are missing that I mean, this isn't a perfect system, but obviously, so obviously in your specific situation, not only the other partner is an essential worker who's actually going out into the world, so they don't want to go near an immunocompromised person and that person doesn't want them there, but they're still missing a lot of the tactile feedback of having that. I would suggest sending weighted blanket or body pillow or both. Ask them to wear them while you call them and say like, imagine I'm hugging you with this blanket and have that conversation. Or with your scent. Right, and you can spray it with your perfume, or you could, or you could even sleep in it for a couple of days first, and then wrap it up. Oh, that would be even better, Michael, if you slept in the shirt for a little bit. And then you wrap it in plastic, yeah. and you let it sit in the plastic for seven days before you ship it. Then you know it'll quarantine yeah. itself basically in that time frame. That is a beautiful idea. I absolutely love that. Like if it's a shirt, then you could ship the shirt and then have them put it on a pillow. Yeah. Well, and also body yeah. pillows and weighted blankets are basically also good for everyone all the time. So yeah. I'm up for more people having them for the mm-hmm. long term as well. But I mean, if you don't have the funds to buy, go out, you know, to buy something. Right, right, right. The budget version. <laughs> but on all seriousness, I think that is a really, really good mm-hmm. idea. Mm-hmm. I really like that idea. The tangible. I'm telling you, that's what they're missing is the tangible. They're missing the the touch yeah. and the the something to have. Not that you're something, but yeah. it's, it's the touch 
if you can afford it again the like the weighted blankets are great for anxiety and they also mm -hmm. replicate a lot of the hugging gesture that you can't get so that pressure is really helpful yeah i have one of those are great but they're expensive i have a few blank tank tops i might just wear overnight or something and then the next morning i'm almost tempted to like write something on it or draw a picture yeah. of my face that'd be great kind of goofy or something and then send it off i think would be like a nice extra touch there you go. I do it that. before you wear it though so that you can wear off a marker smell <laughs> That's a good point. That's true. Just saying. Oh, I'll good see tip. Look at you. That's good. a lot smarter. <laughs> All right, well, well, I know you have to go, uh, and we've kept you up late for a kid bedtime, but thank you for coming on and talking for with us. For joining us, yeah. yes. Oh, Robin's three hours behind us. Oh, yeah, right, which makes it actual kids' bedtime time. Yeah. Yes, I am at a different time zone. It's like now it's bedtime. It's actually time to start the, you know, mm -hmm. the wind brushing, down. Yeah. et cetera. The wind down to help those kids fall asleep because it is still hard for them. <laughs> Thank you so much for giving us your time and taking time away from your kids to do this with us. I know that you probably needed the break, but we appreciate them. So if you'll thank your kids for uh, sacrificing a little bit of time so we could have mommy, that would be awesome. Of course, you know what? And they did actually pretty good considering. <laughs> they did, they did. All right, thanks so much, Robin. Thank you. Thank you, Robin. Everyone for listening and please do what you can to survive through this crisis that we're having, this pandemic, and be gentle with yourselves. Absolutely, anytime. Thank you for having me. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thank you for listening. Bye, Bye guys. Bye.